Welcome to the First World Philippines Podcast. Hey guys and welcome to another episode of the First World Philippines podcast and today I have a very special guest, Miss Jocelyn Pick. Now Jocelyn is, how do I explain this, she's like my adopted Filipino mom. (laughs) I have known her for four years and I can say without hesitation she is one of the most passionate Filipinas that you will ever meet. She really loves this country, Um, she has been in the fields of HR now for so many years as a professor, speaker, writer, and now today leading the Profiles Group. So, so much insight you will get from this interview. Jocelyn goes into her past. She talks about her dreams for the Philippines. I've learned so much personally from her uh, over the last four years that I've uh, lived here. And absolutely, you're going to take a lot of value from this podcast. So, without further ado, can I introduce you to the one and only Miss Jocelyn Bick. Hey guys, and welcome to another world-class Filipino interview. I am very blessed today because I have a very special guest, someone I've wanted to interview for almost three years now, Jocelyn. This has been three years in the making to finally get the time to sit down in your office to talk about your life story, to share some concepts about what it takes to become successful in the Philippines. And I really believe that I'm talking to someone who has got so much insights to share with us. My Filipina mother. Yes, that's right. <laughs> I'm Nanaiko sa Filipino. Jocelyn has been an amazing supporter um, to our work in the Philippines from day one. So before anyone heard of our names on fi- social media or Facebook or any of the talks we've done around in the Philippines and in different countries, uh, Jocelyn saw the potential of our message. And of course. And that's what I'm forever grateful for. So Jocelyn, you're the managing director of People Dynamics. There's, mm-hmm. You've been a serial entrepreneur, you have traveled mm-hmm. around the world. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to go straight into Justin. Yeah. What do you think, what's the, if the one thing it takes to become successful in the Philippines? You know, I must say that um, nothing comes easy. Mm. That you have to set the right goals for yourself, something that's aligned with your values. Mm. And at the same time, it's a lot of work. Mm. I don't believe in the get-rich-quick scheme right away. Yeah. But uh, you have to know what you're doing, and you've mm-hmm. got to also have a sense of giving back yeah. to the community. Yeah. And a great sense of respect for people that work with you. Yeah. So, so just I want you. To, I want you to go back in in time. <laughs> yeah. To two key moments in your life. Yeah. Your decision to leave the Philippines, mm-hmm. and what were you thinking then? And the ma- how many years were you overseas in total? I was out for 17 years. Wow, 17 years. Yeah. So, and then the decision to come back, and not come back to retire, but to come back and build businesses here. Yes. Uh, I want you to talk about the difference in those two moments in your life. Yeah. So when I left, uh, it was largely because I felt that there was so much upheaval in the country. Mm. And uh, I was younger, of course. Mm. But yet I was exposed to a lot of the powerful men that was running government. 
I worked directly at the office of the president, and I worked at the office of the prime minister. We had a prime minister at that time, mm. where there were a lot of issues that were happening. The country was largely in debt. Mm. I was placed in uh, important positions, I would say, mm. um, and I felt that I had to learn and hone my skills to be mm. more effective. Yeah. Plus the fact that the upheaval and the chaos was something that was making me feel uncomfortable. So mm. I felt that the best thing for me to do was to take a break mm. and do something for myself. Yeah. So it was emotional in a sense, but I think it was the right decision. Yeah. And uh, I decided to stay there and work overseas. But what really made me back, and I'm sure this is true for a lot of Filipinos, yeah. is because of family. My parents were getting older. Yeah. And I felt it was just the best time for me to come back and yeah. spend the last years of their good life yeah. while they still can appreciate the, and I could still appreciate their company yeah. uh, and be with them. Yeah. So that's something that you, one of the best decisions you've ever made? I think it was. I, yeah. I was also uh, uh, blessed at the time when I came back because um, it also allowed me to lay the groundwork for establishing a business. Yes, and that's what I've got many questions but that, about. But this. the primary reason was really family. Family, yeah, yeah. family. Do you think that's? Um, what do you think is one of the most common regrets of an overseas Filipino? Now, you, I'm asking you this because you speak from great experience. She's been 17 years overseas and interacted with many foreigners and Filipinos overseas. Yeah. What have you observed as a, a big What the I have observed, because I'm actually very conversational, when I travel, I meet a lot of Filipinos, I get to talk to them. And I have noticed, <coughs> although this is just based on my observation, that uh, quite a common regret is because of relationships that break. Mm. Uh, people go there with the best of intentions of having a good life not just for themselves, mm. but also for their families. Mm. But that best intention actually turns out into something that's broken. Mm. They forget their reason, they forget their objectives of leaving, they break up their relationships. R for romantic, is this? It could be with romantic. their husbands, okay. it could be with their children, yeah. and it, or it could be with their parents. At least that's what I've observed from talking to people that mm. uh, I had met in other countries. Mm. Generally, the reason is economic. And I would say that the Filipinos, in that sense, has a character that probably um, in the Western world will not be appreciated. Mm. Because uh, there is a character that we're doing this because we want to help our siblings. Yeah. We want to help our families. We want to send money for education. We want to spend money to build schools, I uh, know, not, not necessarily to build schools, but it's really to build homes yes. for their family. Yes. And uh, when I was in the U.S. or in Europe, mm -hmm. and when people would do that, a lot of people there just didn't seem to understand the culture. Yeah. And the belief was, look, you're not their parents, why are you doing this? Mm -hmm. But I would say it's a good trait of the Philippines. One sibling is sent to school, that sibling graduates, and it's now her turn to look after the younger mm. ones. That's very unique, not I, in term compared I, I to Western think, cultures. Yes, I think it is very unique. Yeah. So, in the seventeen years, because you've <coughs> had got the chance to compare to other cultures, what 
makes the overseas Filipino so outstanding as an employee, as a as a contributor? What have you noticed the difference in maybe mindset or worth ethic, worth ethic, worth work ethics? Let's talk about traffic, uh, <laughs> <laughs> which is always talked about. Yeah. In the Philippines, on my observation, some of the Filipino drivers don't really religiously uh, follow the rules, but if you take them to other places, they do follow the rules. Yes. Why is that? Is that a feeling of comfort in the Philippines? I don't know, but that's, that's one area. But on the other area, I think Filipinos in general are very hardworking, and yeah. I think their command for the English language mm. is good, and they could communicate. Mm. And um, a drawback would be we are not very expressive and we don't really, we're not very assertive when it comes mm. to what we want. Yeah. We bear our suffering to ourselves. Kalaoban. Kalaoban, <laughs> yeah. And I think we've got to be a little bit more assertive of, of what we want. Yeah. And let other people know, especially people from other countries and other culture. Yes. Do you yeah. felt this <coughs> too often Filipinos didn't speak up? Yes. Uh, share their yes. Share their concerns? But they, yeah. they didn't want to speak up. It's probably a personality thing. Yeah. Or it, you would say it could be a cultural thing because uh, in general, as Asians, I would even say, children are not supposed to be heard. Mm. But just CNN, um, <coughs> it might be changing now. Yes, yes. Because of the, the millennials that yeah. are coming in and are more exposed. Yes, yes. But so in general, we yeah. are not very uh, annoying, so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way of looking at it. Uh, apart from family, what did, you miss the most in those 17 years? So I know obviously your first answer will be family, but apart from that, what is the small things about the Philippines that maybe you kind of, people don't appreciate as much? The small things that you really missed and that you really, when you returned, you really appreciated? I would say that uh, these are the be beautiful places in the Philippines. Yeah. You know, like the beaches, you don't really see much of them when you're abroad or much of the same kind of beaches that we have here. Yeah. They're really beautiful. Uh, the hikes in the mountainside yeah. and most especially the people that you meet living in shanties and the little kids that greet you in the streets. So I kind of miss those when I was uh, overseas. Yeah. Do you, see, do you see things here in the Philippines that after 17 years you reflected, you know, this is this could happen only in the Philippines. Those small everyday interactions that you just would never see in America or in Europe. This is one thing, and this I noticed. Uh, even just yesterday, I was waiting for a cab. Yeah. And there was this bunch of uh, workers who were broiling their fish. Okay. And they came to serve me, they didn't know me. They said, Kain putayo, mom. And I noticed that everywhere. Yeah. One time I was in a beach, in a secluded beach in Mindanao. This was a, a beautiful place in Kamigan. And I was just busy minding my own business, enjoying the sun. And again, a bunch of people were cooking and they say, Have some of our food. <laughs> Total strangers. Yes. And sometimes I join them because, of course, it's an invitation. Mm. 
and uh, that's one particular uh, characteristic that I see that it's, it's only in the Philippines. Mm. Wow. The people will ask you to join them, even though they don't know you and you're a stranger. Yeah. What else do you see that that you kind of scratch your head and go, "Wow, this would this happen in other countries?" What else comes to mind? It's a, a strong, um, a strong caring for the children, mm. for the Filipino children, mm. and uh, this kind of caring is manifested in the way that people would assume the role of the parents. Uh, yeah. Sometimes to the point of maybe what some parents would say interfering, but I think it's just really a strong desire to protect the children. Yeah, yeah. I'll be an example because I've heard these stories before of, of almost uh, the entire community gets involved in the raising of the children, yes. especially in the provinces. What, what, what makes you smile when you, um, when you think of maybe examples of how children are being raised in the Philippines compared to maybe other countries? Well, you know, um, let me give you an example. When, when I was living abroad you know, the, in, in the Western world, I was raising my son, who was then uh, probably five, six years old. And um, he had friends in the neighborhood. And when they're in the neighborhood, naturally, if it's lunchtime or if it's dinner, they get to f eat in our house. Mm. But one day, uh, my neighbor came to me and said, if anything happens to my son, it's your responsibility. Mm. So I said, oh boy, I've got to be careful. But I said, in my country, when my kid is in somebody else's house, yeah. we look after them and we feed them as well. Yeah. But I said, hey, you know, this is a different place. Because mm. that was the way I was raised up, Mike. Yeah. I remember I would end up eating in a neighbor's house if it's lunchtime, just because I was playing with their mm. one dozen children. <laughs> <laughs> but it was just this closeness. This was mm. It was a sense of community. Mm. And it was not very individu individualistic that I wouldn't uh, invite my neighbor's children mm. to join us for a meal when I knew that their parents were not there too. Yeah. It's just so instinctive. Yes, it happens so, instinctive. so it's just one example, but uh, some cultures wouldn't like that. They yeah. wouldn't want you to feed their kids yeah. uh, because they're worried about you know if they get sick. And I, I respect that as well. Yeah, yeah. So let me, I'll and ask another example with respect to the elderly and how Filipinos, what have you observed um, in the Western cultures versus the difference here? It might Europe? work, uh, one might have a different way of uh, viewing it, but when I was first abroad, uh, whenever I would see an elderly person mm. cross the street, I would drop what I'm holding, run to the other side and tell the person, let me help you carry your bag, mm. or even at times when I see that uh, they're wandering around, so I would offer to drive them home. Mm. But um, there were a few instances where the, where in some of them really got angry. And uh, I think for some of them for good, good reason. One said, you know, if you continue on helping me, I might grow really dependent, and I need to be independent because I live by myself. Okay. And so it was something that opened my eyes also. Mm. And for others, it was just <coughs> a, a, a look of distrust. Who is this person coming in to help me, I think. But again, it's because I come from a culture where the older people are looked after. Yeah. Uh, there's hardly, um, I, I wouldn't say that they are really home for the 
aged here yeah. unless they don't have families. Yes. But it's an extended family, and uh, the elderly are looked after with mm. much respect. Mm. Probably they're spoiled too much. Yes. And so I understand what this lady from another country was saying. If you if you help me so often, then I might just grow dependent on you. Yes. Okay, so that's it interesting. Good and I like that. Yeah. Yeah. So let, let's talk about your decision to set up a business, uh, People Dynamics, and the impact you've made here in the Philippines. What for you was <coughs> the greatest lesson you learned <coughs> in doing business in the Philippines? And th the greatest lesson could come from <coughs> initial failures and what you learned from that, or if you were to start again, the things you would have done differently based on the lessons you learned, especially in those early years, because there is a lot of Filipinos that are looking to um, overseas Filipinos return to their home country mm -hmm. and build businesses, as well as Filipinos that are currently employees but are dreaming of setting up their own business. Mm -hmm. What advice would you give those those folks based on your own experiences? Um, maybe I was just very fortunate that when I started a business here, um, I wouldn't really say that I had a bad record of failing, mm. uh, but it was a slow growth. Yeah. So. It just means that it was really a lot of thought and effort and planning that was put into it. And uh, the most important thing is the right choice of a support system. I'm yeah. very fortunate to have uh, uh, my husband, who's brilliant and at the same time who's quite supportive. Yeah. And at the same time, uh, since I work heavily with assessment instruments, I use the product that we offer to our clients as a tool for our own company. Mm. So that um, you're placed with great people around you because you, you can't be brilliant all the time. Yes, yes. You've got to work with people who are better than you. Yes. And so I always look for people who have more to offer in certain areas that I'm yeah. weak at. And I find that's one of the greatest things that has helped me. Yeah. And also change, you know, I used to be a very different personality in my younger days, probably very controlling in a sense. But uh, over the years, you turn to be um, more of a leader in the sense that you want to be able to really understand what are the needs of the people that you are leading mm. to make sure that they find satisfaction in what they are doing. Mm. And in the process, it makes sure they are successful so that you become successful mm. as well. What do you see is the number one mistake businesses make here in the Philippines, especially the early years? Because you talked about a lot about the importance of patience. Yes, do you think that's right. There's the get rich quick mentality. That what do you see a common mistake you see businesses over and over repeating? Hmm. There, there are many reasons. I think hmm. one is maybe you might not just have the right capital. Yeah, and. Um, and capital really is subjective depending on what your project is. So yeah. financial would be uh, one of the reasons. So you've got to be able to tap on your network yeah. or people of influence. Even though you have very little capital, I, I believe that I made use of, I didn't really borrow because the investment needed didn't require a lot of money. Mm. But still it did require some capital. So you have to be very prudent in your uh, expenses. 
I'm not saying you don't pay yourself as the entrepreneur because you have to pay yourself to motivate yourself. But even up to now, Mike, I've been around here. We, we have our company uh, that's been around for 20 years wow. from uh, maybe one or two individuals at the early stage, and we have 50 people now. Mm. I wouldn't say that I live and get uh, the number one salary in the company. It really mm. depends on the contribution. Mm. So you don't live lavishly as well just because a funder uh, decides to put some or a venture capitalist decides to put some money in yourself, in your company, and then you decide to pay yourself huge salaries. That could be a mistake. It could be a mistake, yeah. yeah. So in terms of, um, as an em employer, I look at it from this perspective and the 50 employees you have today, what has been your, how do I say this, <laughs> favorite leadership mistake? Okay, my favorite leader mis leadership mistake, and I think that could be solved by technology. Okay. We had a strategic planning uh, a few months ago in Puerto Galera. Oh, so nice. Beautiful place, fantastic view of the bay. And uh, towards the end, we were asked by our facilitator to write down the things and one of the questions that was asked was, uh, I could work with you better if only. Oh. And uh, I think all of them said, I could work with you better if only we could have more time to sit down and uh, discuss. Oh. And it was the other way around. On, on my end, I wrote to each one of them too, and I said, I could work with you better if only you would ask. But I think there's no excuse for that because technology is there. There's a way to communicate. Of course, there's Facebook, like what we're doing right now. There's yeah. our, those are video. I think we haven't tapped that to the full extent. Yeah. Uh, I'm not saying that we're not a technology company because our a lot of our systems mm. actually <coughs> Our open source documents. We have a huge IT department, but I think those letters were eye openers for me. Mm. That um, how, how many people were involved in the in the strat plan? Maybe about twenty. So twenty people. Twenty people, and most of them, more or less, said exactly the same kind of thing that they wish they had more time to converse with me. Yeah. <coughs> <coughs> and I felt that I. <coughs> <coughs> I wasn't managing my time properly, maybe. Mm. <coughs> sure, sure. <coughs> I really like that. I could work with you better, if only Mary. <laughs> Sorry, we'll, we'll right. edit this out. <laughs> That's right, yeah. If only um, we could have had more time together. Yeah. Let's. Yeah. Can I ask more? Because uh, I really believe this, uh, the power of great questions. Yeah. Um, and I really believe this, uh, the quality of your life and the quality of your, of your success as an employer, as an entrepreneur, or as an employee is really directly related to the number of uncomfortable conversations you're willing to have, yeah. the number of great questions you're willing to ask. Mm. What else, because I think this is very practical advice you're sharing, what has it been another question throughout your career as an employer that has really un um, unlocked even more insights either with yourself or with your employees? What other successes have you had with respect to asking the right question at the right time? What comes to mind? 
Sorry, I didn't quite understand the question, <laughs> Sorry. Mike. <laughs> so I'm referring to, so you give me the concrete example of during the strat planning, the question was asked, I could work with you better if only. Yes. And that great question unlocked so much um, new insights for both yourself and for your team members. Mm -hmm. Has there been another question that has had the same impact? Where, not just in the this, in this example you gave mm -hmm. in strat planning, but throughout your career as an employer, by asking that question, either on a daily basis or on a weekly basis, has really helped you manage your time and make better decisions. Okay, this is a lesson that I learned from my father. Okay. Only two words he would tell me, be there. Okay. And it just seemed to be, you know, what does it mean, be there? He's gone now, mm. but if I think about my life with him, he was always there mm. for me. Mm. Whether I was in the Philippines or whether I was 17 years working mm. abroad. I always felt that he was reachable, mm. he was there. And so with that important lesson, I would often think about it. And it goes with everything that you do when you talk to an employee. Mm. Be there, which means your mind is not wandering off. Wow. This you is so are important. present. Yes. You are in the here and now. Yeah. And I think that made a lot of difference. Mm -hmm. Because the here and now is different from five minutes from now and your mind is wandering off, yeah. doing something else. Yeah. That was a lesson I learned from my, my father. Mm. And it comes with a lot of great appreciation because I, I felt that why I am the way I am now is largely because of him. Wow. Can I ask you more questions about your father? Sure. What other, I know, the importance of uh, <coughs> the role model of a father of, um, of a, at an early age. How, what other pieces of advice from your father have stayed with you throughout the years that you've seen applicable um, both in your time overseas, 17 years, mm -hmm. and in running business? What, what conversations come back to mind that really inspire you and keep you focused? Um, many things actually. Because uh, I would say that uh, he was very learned in a lot of things. Yeah. And um, so learning is one of it. Yeah. Great learning. He was a teacher. Uh, and when it comes to learning, it was a balanced type of learning. So you just don't uh, think about numbers. Yeah. I, I am a numbers person. I yeah. don't know if you know that. Yeah, I know, yeah. <laughs> and uh, my dad is an engineer, so mm. he is also inclined in the numbers, and yet um, there was always this balance because there were books that he would purchase, which was really more on the literature mm. and uh, on the aspect of writing poetry. Oh. So it, it was just a great desire to learn, mm. and I think that's an important lesson because I think learning up to now, even when, you know, I'm this mature, <laughs> I said, um, it's lifelong. Yeah. And you think and that's... Any, I any think it's very important yeah. for you to have a full life, yeah. that you continue learning. And, yeah. and that is why I'm also a teacher. Mm. Uh, I teach uh, teachers yeah. and I teach... So I teach in the graduate school and my students are public school teachers. Wow. And I also teach... Uh, government 
supervisors and managers. Mm. So my feeling about that is that I might not be directly involved in the policy making, mm. or I may not directly be involved in the classroom, but at least to a certain extent, I am able to influence the people who are doing these things. Mm. And it's also inspiring them to have a strong desire for knowledge and for learning. I think that's very important. Yes. And I would attribute that as well to to the the value that my father had instilled in yes. me. So going to back to someone who's looking to set up a business today yeah. and if they came to you for advice, what is the first thing you would tell them? First thing I would tell them is what is it that you really want? What is it that you love? What is your purpose in doing this? Because yeah. if you don't have a purpose other than you just want to get the money, Make money, you might not be very successful. But if you have a strong desire, like for example, uh, Mike, in your case, you were telling me that this video is about uh, being inspiring, being motivating, mm -hmm. yep. letting people feel that. Mm -hmm. And you're very successful at it. Mm -hmm. Then the success comes in easily, I think. Mm -hmm. You've got to know what your purpose is, what you want to do. And then that is your goal. You want to achieve that. And if you really strongly believe in that, not forget it and think about it, I think it will, it will happen. Mm. It's the power of the mind, I think. It really is. It is. Yeah, it's the power of the mind. And I've seen it happen so many times. Sometimes yeah. the, the unconscious works better than the, the conscious, yeah. considering that I am a very logical person, uh -huh. I would say, but I strongly believe in, in the power of the brain. Yeah. So... I'm going to ask another question. Yeah. This is time it's um, a young person who's looking to get promote, go climb up the corporate ladder. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure you've you've had so many employees in your day. Um, you've seen some succeed. You've seen some thrive, mm -hmm. and you've seen some not fit and uh, yeah. move on and struggle. Uh, what do you, what is this um, advice you give to some aspiring person, the beginning or early stages of their career? in what they can do to be a shining star in their company? Many things. Huh? <laughs> One is um, take initiative. Take initiative, yeah. Make sure that you are aware of uh, what the company is all about, what, what, what is its mission, its vision, and you've got to align yourself with that. Because mm. if you're not aligned with the values of the company, then you're not going to like working there. Mm. So you want to make sure you have the right fit. Yeah. Um, have a strong sense of urgency as well. You know, try to get things done. Mm. Don't procrastinate. Um, I don't know if I should say follow the rules. It's a very difficult thing to do. Uh, but yes, to a certain extent, do yeah. do comply with the what's expected of, of yeah. you in terms of working for a company. Because um, and hype and and develop your emotional uh, intelligence. intelligence. Because as they say, it's really the IQ that gets you hired, but it's the emotional intelligence that gets you promoted. Oh, well, what's a good example <laughs> of emotional intelligence in action? A good example would be just being completely aware of yourself so that you have self-control. Yeah. Maybe 
not saying the things that you feel right now you ought to be saying mm -hmm. just because you're very emotional about it and you spend a little bit more time thinking about it mm -hmm. so you could express it properly. Mm -hmm. At the same time, having a strong sense of uh, really understanding people that you're working with, mm -hmm. where they're coming from, why are they feeling like that. Mm -hmm. uh, so like those, those are some of the things that mm -hmm. I would say is a manifestation of... Uh, having strong intelligence, yeah. emotional intelligence. It's really the ability of being able to work well uh, with others and at the same time mastering yourself, yeah. understanding yourself better. Isn't this true that this, uh, the same principles you're referring to in business can be applied in uh, romance in terms of the EQ oh, of, a, of a couple is what um, gets them growing as a, a couple together in terms of that empathy for the other person, that connection to the other person. Would that be, is that me making a crazy connection? You know, there are a lot of things in business that really can be applied to romance. <laughs> <laughs> <coughs> Even in, in some of the assessments that we have, we have this tool that's uh, this base, the ISC. Yeah. And uh, this tool actually is used for marriage counseling. Wow. Because it's a great tool to get to understand your partner. Yeah. And so when we uh, make reports about you, if you take this assessment, I normally tell uh, our test takers that, okay, this is who you are. Take a look at it. And some of them would tell me, hey, uh, this just kind of validates what I thought about myself, but this is a scientific instrument that actually tells me this is who I am. Yeah. And I tell them, you know, show it to your spouse or your yeah. partner. Yeah, yeah. And every now and then I get a text message saying, you know, I feel so happy that uh, you've given me this report. Or even if I didn't get promoted, yeah. <laughs> uh, I felt that uh, this was a very valuable insight about myself. Yeah. Excellent. And guys, at the, in the description, of the, in the show notes, we're going to put all the links to the, the websites that Justin referred to where you can actually go and learn and actually get the chance to take those tests. Yeah. And, and not just from, obviously, this primary purpose of business, but a very positive side effect of uh, how it relates to, to your, relationships. To the romance, yeah, yeah, that's right. Justin, I want to switch things up and talk about <coughs> the Philippines the country yeah. of your birth, mm. yeah. of your ancestors, and the country you mm. called home. Since the, you left in the 80s, mm. uh, I'm going to ask two, uh, one question, but I, want, I was hoping you could answer from two perspectives. What is the biggest change you've seen? Both, I'll ask one positive change you've seen in the last 20 plus years mm. since you've been away, and one change that concerns you that you've seen in terms of the culture in the last um, 20 so years? Um, well, tough question, Mike. Okay, what changed? I was not going to say about the culture, but of course the country's landscape has changed. Yeah. And um, the workforce has changed. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot more job opportunities for Filipinos. Oh. Which really means that we have to government policy makers, schools, and companies make sure that we can become competitive. Because I think one of the greatest changes I see mm. is that we're not just competing with uh, our countrymen, but we're competing globally. Yeah. 
So we have to prepare for that. And that's a positive side. Mm. We have generated 1.3 million new jobs since I came back because of new opportunities coming from business process outsourcing to mm. the Philippines. Yes. And so with that, I have seen a rise of um, uh, standards of living. Yeah. And um, just in general, a very positive outlook. Yeah. So that's in terms of changes that I see. So there's a lot of development, which is, yeah. which is good, but along the way, I'm not judging that it's bad or good. I think the behaviors of yeah. the of the new workforce has also changed, but yeah. it's probably because the world is changing yeah. and everybody needs to, to change, I guess. Technology yeah. is changing, it's, it's a very different world. Uh, on the other hand, um, along with this development are also changes in if the family would really be mm. um, considered as a changing unit as well because mm. there's so much mobility going on yes. now and uh, how do you cope up with maintaining a unified family with all the, these changes mm. but there's progress too so it's both good or bad yes with progress you know that uh, it's good yes but to what extent does it really affect society Yes. And how do you counteract these changes that are happening? Yeah. So we've got to have more alertness when it comes to these things. Because in the final analysis, what we're wanting is a good life for the Filipino people. Mm. I still see a lot of poverty. <laughs> I travel a lot. I do a lot of work uh, with uh, handicapped people, for example, mm. visiting uh, hard-to-reach areas. Mm. And there's still a lot of old practices in fact, maybe even superstitious beliefs that are being practiced. So it hasn't filtered down to these communities. Mm -hmm. So we might say that there's a lot of technology happening and that Facebook might be a way to reach people. But on the infrastructure that we're facing, how, how, do they, mm -hmm. how can we reach them? Yeah. Uh, the problem is still there. There's, there's still poverty. And I think it would really be... Um, great if we could somehow in our own way uplift mm. uplift some of the people in, in ways that we we can do. I, I'm mm. always happy to see people move up. Yes, yes. It's always great to see that. Yes. Okay. Let's, let's talk about, let's build on that, uh, your question about, so your, uh, your comment about uh, vision. What is ang pangarap mo para sa Pilipinas? Ang vision mo where do you see this country can can go or even become in the next 20 years, next 20, 30 years? Our future is in the youth. Mm. We have to invest in them. Mm. And we invest in them in education. Mm. I know it's a policy of the government. We say access and equity to education. But how can we translate that in real terms? Mm. Uh, so... That is one of the things that I'd like. We, we do have the policy, but if people cannot even afford to go to school, even if schooling is free, yeah. maybe because of transportation, or maybe simply because of lack of money to take the, the jeepneys, or maybe because they have to walk so many kilometers 
before the next school. So those are issues. That, those are large social issues that we need to address. Let's talk about jobs. Uh, how prepared are we preparing our youth to get the right competencies so they could be hired in these jobs? Because there, indeed, there's a lot of opportunities that's out there. And I know there's many programs that are being tested. Mm. But um, in the end, um, I still see that there's a lot of work yeah. that needs to be done. And I'm sure a lot of people are also helping out. But it's in the consciousness. Because even in our own day-to-day -day life, we see it. We see it every day. We see it in the sidewalks. Mm. We see it among vendors that try to make a living. And you would wonder, how can they make a living? Mm. That's why I get a lot of gratification when I see young people, for example, people who uh, come to work and, and you see them learn more things and you see them progress and you see them finally being able to buy a vehicle or maybe even buy a house. And you know that part of the reason why they're doing that is you've given them an opportunity and they've been able to feel good about themselves because they know that they're being productive. Mm. And the ripple effect that yeah, has it. Yes, that's right. So it's a, it's a process, mm. but I think there has to be a consciousness for that. Yeah. So almost coming to the end of the interview, yeah. and I'm really grateful, Jocelyn, once again, for you taking time to sit down after three years, three years <laughs> I've been chasing her down to, yeah, to share so, some So insights. now you see where my soft-selling me, Mom. <laughs> we wish we could spend more time with you. <laughs> I could work better with you, if only <laughs> if we could do this more often. Um, a couple of more uh, rapid-fire questions. If you could um, put a message on every billboard in the Philippines, that let's say that every Filipino would be able to read, what would be on that billboard? why maybe you can translate it in Tagalog but it, it would be the message of my father be there it's a very powerful message I think Maging dito, be there dito na? Is this? Mm, be there which is which is what I said you know? be there, yeah. you're there for everybody yeah. you're there when somebody needs you yeah. um, that that would be my message yeah. be there when you're needed what advice would you give your 21-year-old self? Myself. 21-year-old. You've got a time machine. You're back. You're sitting with her. You have five minutes. Yeah. What would in fact, Mike, sometimes I ask myself, or I tell myself, gee, what would be, your what would be the 21-year-old Jocelyn be telling you now? Oh, <laughs> reverse. <laughs> <laughs> but what advice? Um, I can't think of any advice because if I think about it, I think somehow the foundations were mm. were there, you know, at age, I graduated from college at age 20. Wow, and so early. for whatever reason, I had written down a piece of paper what my goals in life were. Nobody really? told me to do this. Mm. I was looking for a job and I said, this is what I want to be five years from now, 10 years from now. 15 years from now, and I divided it into my physical side, my finances, yeah. my family, my education, wow. and um, maybe five or six areas in life. Yeah. 
I wrote it all down. I put the amount of salary. What age do you, were you when you did this first? I did this at age 20. 20 years of age? Yes. Wow. So I did this at age 20. I had written it on a piece of paper. Yeah. And I had put there that by this age, I should have finished my master's degree. Yeah. Then I should be earning this much. I even put there at this age, I should be married. <laughs> <laughs> and I should have traveled these countries. Wow. You know, just those different plans that yeah. I, I, I wanted for myself. Yeah. And I knew I had written it down, and that's why I say the, the power of the brain is so, yeah. so amazing. I, I knew I had written it down. And when I came back, after 17 years, yeah. I saw it in my dad's old drawer. I mean, it was, it was locked. It was, those were my stuff. Yeah. I opened it, and I saw the plan. It was wow. a plan of action. I was amazed. I think maybe 95% of why, what I had written there were accomplished. Wow. So, uh, again, I go back to what I said. You have to have a goal mm. and a purpose, and you've got to know what you, you want to be. Mm. And those were different aspects, and I, I find it so refreshing that I probably had done that at age 20. Wow. By looking around and, and also understanding what family would be like, mm. what sort of accomplishments should I have. Mm. One of which was, you know, uh, we were renting for the longest time, and I said by this time, I should have been able to build a house. Wow. And I think I was to share with you yeah, that I did build you uh, did. this. Uh, that was one of the things I had written down. Wow, so ironically, yeah. your 20-year-old self would be giving you advice today <laughs> <laughs> to write down, to continue Yes, to and write. my 20-year-old would be saying, what are you doing about the exercise <laughs> that you said you would be doing? Because that was part of it. Oh, okay. The that's kind of food that you would be eating. Oh, that's the missing 5%. <laughs> Jocelyn, we have mm. come to the end of the interview. I once again thank want you. to thank you. Thank Madame you for making time. My Anak. My Anak. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she really has been, uh, my, my really, you were the first example I have came across in the Philippines of the definition of Capamilia, of yeah. extended oh, yeah. family. And thank you, you yeah. and Malcolm from day one, three years ago, and yeah, made me feel that at was home, three years ago, and have yeah. made my what I do in the Philippines possible. I would not have been able oh. to write my books or do all my videos without the support of you. Yeah, but I'm happy you did that. Oh well, because it has helped a lot of people. Well, I hope yeah. so. And yeah. I, well, I want to maybe the final question I want to a ask you is: uh, I talk a lot about world-class Filipino, mm -hmm. and about them inspiring young Filipinos in particular which you have highlighted as the great hope of this nation to become a world-class Filipino. So maybe my final question to you is, since you have traveled uh, for so long in the Western world and you've come back to the Philippines because you believed in this country so much, what is your definition of a world-class Filipino and what is your final advice our listeners can to become a world-class Filipino? A world-class Filipino is one who is an active and productive contributor mm. to the Philippine society, which means that he doesn't have to rely on dole outs. Mm. He can contribute to the community, and uh, <coughs> at the same time, the contribution will be able to uplift mm. fellow Filipinos as well. Yeah. So it doesn't have to be international. You don't have to be the best singer or the Filipino idol. Idol, <laughs> a Filipino idol, but you could be in your own way, mm. do things 
that will help other people mm. around you and the people that you meet. Mm. So it's being productive yes. and it's being a strong contributor yes, yes. to society. And do you think if the more and more people do that, we'll see a first world Philippines in our lifetime? Of course. Yes. Well, thank you so much, Jocelyn. This has been a fantastic interview. I'm once again very grateful that you've made time for us. And our viewers are Filipinos, Manga Filipino. Sabuhong mundo. Maraming salamat. Thank you again, Jocelyn. Oh, thank God you. God bless you. God and until next time, guys. Alam na. Hey, this is Mike again. Thank you so much for listening to the First World Philippines podcast. It would mean so much to me if you left a review, if you share this podcast. Somehow help us spread the word. We do this for free. All we ask in return, please consider sharing this with your friends, people who love the Philippines, and people who want to become successful in this country. This is their podcast. Thank you so much. I'll see you in the next episode.